Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Tennis and Bagels. We have another week of great tennis that is just ended. And uh, there's actually, as we speak, another match between Camilla Georgie and what's her name? Peterson. Yeah, Rebecca. Rebecca Peterson. I, will, I, I thought he was it, but I wasn't really sure. I, I thought he was like, maybe I'm confusing with like some sort of like actress or something. But yeah, Rebecca Peterson. Um, right now, as we speak, but the biggest, uh, most anticipated finals of uh, the week and the weekend really um have been over for quite a while now and uh yeah um there was a, really a lot of stuff to unpack this week we almost had a repeat or of almost three peat of um winners that we just talked about last week uh and i'm here again with Vansh. it was almost going to be like a copy paste of the same podcast ever again how's it doing man yeah doing good dude another like jam-packed week with like five events and uh, this time we have a WTA 1000, I guess, to uh, to analyze and break down because, um, yeah, there were, there were some interesting developments. And I think I learned some new things, actually, about some of these players this week uh, compared to last week. So it feels more like an, like an extension, but also um, some of these results, I think, can be relevant moving forward. So it should be fun. Yeah. And uh, we are going to start with the... I think it's fair to say that it was pretty much a, the surprise of the week. Uh, like uh, uh, Barbara Krejcikova winning her first WTA Masters, not not Masters, but WTA 1000 event. Uh, and she beat none other than Iga Shiantek. And on her way, she also beat um, Arena Sabalenka to reach that final. So, Yeah, it was one of the a, most incredible runs yeah, the really uh, to huge a WTA 1000 that I've ever seen because... I mean, obviously, we know how great Krijikova is. I think at one point last year in February she, February, she was two in the world. And, of course, we had first actually talked about her on this podcast, I remember, two years ago in mm-hmm. Dubai, actually, when she made the final there of the 1000. And that was her first real, I think, breakthrough on the big stage. And she lost to Garbina Muguruza, who was on that incredible run, if you remember, at the time. You know, she just lost out to Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Australian Open, had just two match points. But she was playing really well, uh, Garbine. And Garbine beat her in the final. And they went on to have this nice rivalry. But then this time last year, she, Krejcikova was two in the world. She'd sort of proven herself after winning the French. And we knew, we knew she was a great doubles player, but then she had elbow surgery. Yeah. So that took her out of the game for four or five months. And, you know, she kind of came back last year, French Open, like lost first round to Diane Perry, but, you know, was just not really back yet. Like was kind of working her way. And then something clicked in October and she won Tallinn and she beat Fiontech in that Ostrova final, which was, in my opinion, the match of the year on the WTA mm. side. It's the first time Shiantek has ever lost in the final. So you thought there was potential here for Krejcikova to to go on a uh, to go on a big run, but I didn't expect her to beat the gauntlet of players that she did and the way she did it. Because 
Yeah. Um, she got through the first round against Irina Kamala-Begu, but then she had to play Daria Kazakina. Kazakina, I remember, had beaten her earlier this year in Australia, and that's kind of a difficult matchup. Kazakina is a really crafty player. She doesn't have a big serve or a huge game, but she's really, really clever around the court and how she uses her angles. And, uh, you know, when you don't have so many overwhelming weapons off the ground, like, um, you have to be really crafty and use a lot of guile. And Krajikova struggled a lot with that, and she was down four match points. So this run that we're talking about right now could have never happened. You know, we might have been sitting here talking again about how great Iga is, and we probably will do. We'll get to her as well. But um, the, this the, this run couldn't have happened if Krajikova hadn't saved those four match points. And I think uh, Kazakina was up five three in that third set, forty fifteen. She double faults on the first match point, and you're thinking, "Uh oh, she's feeling the pressure. She's a little tight." Then she, I, I think, uh, Krajikova hit a forehand down the line winner, or at least forced a mistake. And then she hit another inside-in winner, and then she uh, got another double fault, and then she turned that match around. And then, as you mentioned, then she beat Sabalenka, who yeah. is the number two in the world, uh, Australian Open champion, is on a 13-match win streak at the time. And Sabalenka goes up 6-3-1. She's in the most dominant yeah. phase of her life. I did She's not see absolutely... her, match, her losing that match in any way. She, there was no chance, I thought, for Krajikova to, to come back. But I did notice that some of the games in that first first four games of the second set like they were a little tight uh, compared to the first set was just a total blowout for Sabalenka yeah um but then you know as soon as she holds for 3-2 she's like okay it's just one break the thing about Krajikova that that uh, amazes me is the whole arsenal that she has because she plays doubles she's so yeah. well-rounded on the tennis court like you can see how frustrating she is and um, I think Nick Carter of Popcorn Tennis called her a disruptor and I think that's a good way of putting it because you watch her play and it's like, it's not like, um, you know, Sviantec, like we know what her strengths are. They're a lot more sort of obvious. Like she has a heavy topspin forehand. You know, she d- defends like f- like Djokovic style, like on the backhand. And, you know, she she can just blitz through opponents. But for Krajikova, it's more, she uses a lot of, um, she mixes in. She uses your pace that you give her and she redirects so well. And she's able yeah. to hit these ridiculous angles and, because she's so skilled at the net, because she's such a good uh, returner, when she gets in that mode where she's, where everything is just pinging off her record, it's such smooth, easy power. So you feel like you're just sort of trapped and you're at the mercy of her redirection shots. It's a little bit like Benchich, but with a lot more, uh, like her shots have a lot more sting and they're really heavy and she can yeah, play based on her yeah. own. It's really uh, like, you know, her forehand is a lot more like a clay court forehand and her backhand yeah. is like, it's a bullet like that thing her, when her backhand was uh, was absolutely destroying Shviantek from the back of the court. Like there was no, yeah. there was nothing and, she could do. I mean, and, you know, to be fair, to Shviantek, she, she played a really, a really poor match in that final. But yeah, like I think the Sabalinka match was just. Yeah, I, I, I was. I, have a I remember I was tweeting from the uh, Tennis and Bagels account, and uh, I said that like. Well, Sabalika looked so like in in tune with her own game. Like she looked like she was not going to lose. She looked so yeah. confident. And then all of a sudden, like after the three one, as you mentioned, like she just kind of started getting frustrated. And obviously, Krejcikova started playing really well. But then yeah. I, it, it just it just felt like an immediate jinx. I was like, well, that's the commentator's curse. Yeah, that's like, what we right love away. about the game. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what we love is yeah. like it's never over to the last point. We'll we'll get to that with another final as well, exactly. Gloria and Alcaraz later, mm-hmm. but. You know, six of three one, and I'm thinking, okay, like Sabalenka is not playing bad. That was an excellent return game to get the break back. But then they go to the tie break, and then Sabalenka double faults twice, and that's that's a killer. You know, you can't do that in a tie break. 
and then expect to come through in a situation like that. I, I still thought maybe there's a chance Sabalenka would regroup in the third. Didn't happen. Krajikova was on top of every single point. Uh, Sabalenka was a little deflated. Kind of understandable because when Krajikova hits her peak level, it's it's scary. It's scary. It's like top three or four on the WTA. It's like yeah. really, really insane, actually. Yeah, especially on a fast court because it, it just feels like it's happening so fast. And she, and I think also another thing, her serve is pretty underrated. Like she's able Krajikova's. to hit the spots. Yeah, Krajikova. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you had watched that final against Fiontek, Fiontek was not having good success, especially off the second serve. No, we know how yeah. strong she is at returning second serve. I mean, she yes. breaks so often, almost 50% of the time. Against Krachikova, it didn't really happen. Yeah. Um, and Fiontek was not able to problem solve her way into the batch yeah. back. And then and then I thought she was going to beat Pagula after the, because this is the first, this is the fifth time in WTA history that someone has beaten one number three, two, and one in the same week. And before that, it's like Serena, Venus, Hmm. Um, you know, like Henan, like it's, 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 it's really, really rare. I have, you know, like 1999 graph. Yeah. It's basically graph Serena Venus. And then Sabalenka last year at the WTA finals, right? Not Henan. Hmm. Sabalenka last year at the WTA finals, but Sabalenka didn't end up winning. She lost to Garcia in the final. Yeah. But she beat three, two and one on the way. But here, um, yeah, I knew she was going to beat Pagula. She had a little bit of a hiccup in the second set and then bageled her in the third. So now yeah. you're thinking, okay, here we go. Ego versus Barbora. For the final, like a, a repeat. Has beaten, is it going to be a repeat of last year's? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because they've played some close matches in the past. I remember in 2021 in Rome, they played a three-setter, and Krijikova saved. Uh, Krijikova had two match points, but Chiantic ended up winning that match, and then she double bageled Pliskova in the final, won Rome, and that was, you know, you know that was a turning point because that match was really difficult for her, but she got through that, yeah. and then she lost the Ostrava final, obviously from a setup. Um, yeah. But going into this one, I, I also really, you know, I, I thought we were going to get a close match. I didn't expect the scoreline that we got. Yeah, and I think some it, of the reason. Yeah, it's uh, like a, Fiontek also, I, I'm not sure if I already mentioned this, but she hit 10 winners to 27 enforced errors yeah, in it, this it match. Was not a, it was not a good match from her. Yeah. I thought uh, mentally as well. I think that's yeah. what surprised me more than anything because, you know, she, she went down an early break. She lost her serve from 40-15 up. Yeah. And Krachikova hit two beautiful backhand winners. And now you're thinking, okay, but Shiantek has to respond. And she did, to her credit. She actually did. She got it to four all. Yeah. She they, they broke each other twice. And it was getting harder for each player to hold their serve. But then I just thought that uh, Krachik, uh Iga didn't have the same patience that she normally has in these rhythmic baseline exchanges. And she was trying to pull the trigger way too early. Yeah. And I think but, that's because... but at the same time, like uh, as this was happening, the one thing that I was seeing, like... Uh... Was that she just couldn't get the ball in play? She was making like weird errors that she wouldn't normally do. So I'm not yeah. sure if it's like the discrepancy of like her finally finding some sort of um, bad day after like so many bagels and like breadsticks. Yeah, and like, you know I, that's yeah. one thing that I mentioned on Twitter yeah. actually is that it's a little bit of an interesting dichotomy because yes, yeah. she's bageling and breadsticking the likes of Kazakina and Goff and. Uh, you know, even Samsonova and other, you know, really good players like in the top 15 and former Slam finalists. She's doing that on a regular basis. But then her last three losses have been kind of comprehensive. Like she lost to Pagula at the United Cup. Yeah. That was 2-2. Two two. She lost to Rybakina. That was, you know, fairly like it was straight sets. It was, you know, it wasn't, it didn't go to a third and it felt kind of inevitable. And then uh, on a fast court. And then this one. You know, it was four and two, but she she looked kind of discouraged to me. Like she didn't really like have that second gear, and I think some of that is because she's so used to 
like always being ahead on the score and she plays so quick in between points as well like if you watch yeah, her it's yeah. like almost like she's she's playing with a timer and yeah, she, has she get, didn't she never to took the time to yeah she never took the time and, to be a little bit more frustrated and just like take a deep breath yeah and, and I, I, I do want to mention that she did she was a little under the weather i think that's important to note because mm. when you're when you're feeling a little sick uh, it can be like kind of hard to like regroup focus like get your tactics right and it's really difficult also to win doha and dubai so i do i empathize with her a little bit because i think that's only been done twice in history like hingis in 2001 and henen in 2007 are the only two to have ever done it not even serena venus so it's it's a really difficult turnaround because like doha is a lot slower and then dubai is like you know pretty fast like it's yeah it did feel really fast like i mean the one thing that uh, krichikova was doing that i think was I don't want to say a concern to Shvantek because she probably already knows that her serve isn't like her biggest, big, yeah. the biggest weapon on tour. But like the way that Krachikov was just standing inside of the baseline and just kind of mm-hmm. blocking it back so much, um, and especially off of the backhand side, like the forehand started a little bit slow for her, I, I suppose. And the second set, it really picked it up. But like the backhand was just firing, like for, for an entire match, just like winner after I mean, winner. I love and her just, backhand. I love it because she has that really short take back. Yeah, it was so good. It's like a very, it's probably like a really good result of like, of playing so much doubles because um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the return has to be like that and like the way that she got to be like more pacey. And it's just like a really good combination of like the skills of a singles player and a doubles player together. I feel like if you're just a doubles player, you wouldn't be able to have this, this much consistency. And if you're a singles player, you end up like maybe just kind of taking your yeah. time a bit more. But like, I think... I think she's a Hall yeah. of Fame lock because you mentioned yeah. the doubles. That's a yeah. really good point. Yeah. She's won 10 majors in doubles, seven majors in uh, regular doubles, and then three in mixed, and all with really good partners. And like she and Sydney Akova, like pretty much every week they win, like yeah. every major event that they're playing now, they're winning. They yeah. won you always each, think, um, you're always going to see on Twitter the picture of them like jumping with the trophy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and they're like, I don't think anyone else is any other doubles pair is even close to them, but now she has a 1000, she has a French Open, yeah. she has a 500, she has all these other titles. and. I'd be shocked if she's not in the top eight, like by the end of the year. I, I, maybe even yeah. top five. I think, I think she's a top five caliber player when yeah. she's playing well. Uh, yeah, but another thing, you yeah. know, you're so right about the returns. Yeah. Because guess what? Shvantec made her first serve percentage was sixty nine percent. She won fifty seven percent of the points. Yeah. You know, I, that's that's something that, like, I, you know, people talk about Shvantec's second serve, and I get why they're doing that because you you see like players can. You know, certain players like a Rybakina, Sabalenka and stuff, like they can go at it on a fast court and mm-hmm. rush Iga, especially on her forehand. I get that. But if her first serve is going in 70% of the time, she should be winning more of those points. Yeah. So I think her first serve effectiveness uh, is the main thing that I think like she can improve. Because if you think about it on the WTA, like most people's second serve, pretty attackable. Like it's not like, you know, I mean, you can, you can look at a Pagula, you can look at other players. It feels like the second serve, like, you know, if your first serve percentage is low, like you're gonna have to defend. And I think she actually does a decent job in most matches keeping her second serve points one high because she defends like Djokovic, like on her backhand. Yeah, yeah. So because of because of that, it's like pretty hard to like actually pin her back. But because there's not much difference between her first and second serve, I feel like that's where she gets dominated in that serve return dynamic. Yeah, because yeah. you can return, but if Krajikova's serving well and then she's returning well, it's a nightmare. Um and yeah, like I, I just didn't think she did enough. I think one chance that Triantek had was in the beginning of the second set. Yeah. It was 1-2, 15-40. She had two break points. From there, Krajikova won five games in a row. Yeah, And that's yeah. where I felt like if Triantek had gotten the break there, 
we could have seen maybe a three setter. But yeah. what happened is that because you know those chances were rare, and when she was missing them, she was getting really frustrated. She was looking at her box. She was you know vent like she didn't have that sort of calmness yeah. to reset, and she she didn't play the right shot at thirty forty. She went for a she went for broke on a backhand. That if she just used her athleticism and shot tolerance, she might have won the point, and then broken for for three one. But she just she couldn't control the shot, and she kind of had she probably wants that point back. Looking back, but after that, I thought Krajikova was just exceptional. Like for, yeah, for the it's like games. it's one of those things, like one of those terrible days in which like not only your game is not really working, but like Krajikova's game was just clicking so well. Like yeah. it, it was only at, at some point it was became just a matter of time, and obviously like if. It's tennis, right? And um, it's if I think I'm not sure if we talked about this like before I after we started um, the recording, but you know, it's like one of the things about tennis. Like as soon as you think um, it's over, well, it's not over until it's over. So like if Sviantek just kept playing, maybe Kuchikov's level would drop. It, it was always a possibility, but it's just yeah, she closed it out um, beautifully. <laughs> so I yeah. think she served the two fifteen or two love to finish the match. Oh yeah, and she finished it with a beautiful inside in forehand. She has such good footwork on her backhand side in general, on the yeah. ad side. Like she's able to just, you know, run around her backhand and hit really sharp inside in forehands. I mentioned that's how he, she saved one of those match points against Kazaki. That was an inside in forehand winner, and it's just so smooth. It's like just watching. It's like smooth as silk. You you know you watch her play, and she's so calm, composed. I I feel like she's uh, not talked about nearly as enough she doesn't get like the big court assignments in a lot of these stems um yeah she's often playing like just kind of going under the radar mm-hmm. but when she goes deep into an event like just watch out because now she beat four top 10 players here and now her ranking is going to go up yeah. and she's formidable on all surfaces i i even think there's a chance she might be able to go really deep at wimbledon because we mentioned oh the other thing that she did really well which is a little bit out of the Barty playbook Used the backhand slice. Yeah, and I saw it few used, times and did it did a kind of and it was kind of deliberate and very offensive minded because she would use that slice, hit it short, uh, low, and force Fiontek to hit up on her backhand, which is not nearly as comfortable of a shot for her. It'll be less precise, and then Fiontek and then Krajikova has the next shot, usually a forehand, but even the backhand that she can yeah. just crush for a winner. Yeah, I think and, that's um, I love when players like. Like Serena Williams came before, um, and obviously Serena Williams isn't necessarily comparable to Ash Barty, but Barty also did like her kind of fair share of dominance on tour before she decided to retire. But like when players like that, they just kind of show up and they just do something really well. I think it's just natural that other players would try to like add it to their arsenal. Like for example, um, Serena Williams' well power and big serve. It was something that like got um, assimilated for a lot of players. It kind of revolutionized the game. That. Yeah, uh, so I mean, and then, power and Venus yeah, as well. Exactly. And then you had that whole wave of like Capriati, Davenport, and yeah. I think we're kind of seeing that a little bit now with the first strike power tennis with Sabalenka, Rybakina, yeah. Samsonova, and then you have sort of this group of the variety people. Like yeah, it's like we have the Andreescu's and uh, Andreescu, Benchic, Bardi. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think I didn't even put like a Mukova in there. Yeah, She's kind Mukova of like is a, really good at it. Uh, crafty player as well, like you know Petro Martic on a good day. Like these are all players who I think can disrupt people's rhythm, and that's yeah. the key thing. And then obviously, like Krejcikova has pretty much all the shots in the in the book. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she's pretty formidable. So it was a well-deserved triumph for Krejcikova in the end. And 
I think uh, Iga can be proud of her two weeks as well because she, I mean, destroyed so many people along the way and she made another final after winning. And she pretty much defended her points from last year. I think that was the big thing is can she defend all those points and have that same aura? And I think she still does. It's just that this kind of exposed a few things. And in a way, it's kind of good because she's forcing the competition like around her to elevate. And that's what we're seeing with Krichikova, Rabaki now, players players like that. Like It's taking something uh, different to beat Shantek. Um, if you just play her from the baseline and you just you you play into her hands, um, yeah, it, it's not going to work. So I think uh, this is good for the WTA that we have uh, like this rivalry. I think like along with Djokovic and Alcaraz, for me, this might be the rivalry on the women's side because I just think the contrast is so good. It's like we didn't get Barty and Shiontek, unfortunately, but I yeah. think if we get can get more of these matches. I think Iga Sabalenka, Iga uh, Krachikova. Those are the two, I think, for me. That if we can get them to play four or five times or something this year, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah. Now, when I, it gets I, to the clay, I think I think Iga is a step above. I really do. I think. Yeah, I I mean the the one the thing is like Krachikova Krachikova did win uh, Roland Garros once. Um, did, obviously, yeah. like Shantek wasn't playing like the her best and whatnot, but like. Um, yeah. I do. I do want to see um, them both playing, uh, going at each other. Roland Garros. I think it would be could be a. Not sure if it, we're headed towards the final. I think things are more likely. Could happen any round. Yeah. Because of the ranking, but. Yeah, not so much because like now she's like ranked number thirty, and by the time that Roland Garros yeah. gets on, I think she's going to be seated. But it could still happen in like a third round or something like that. But I would still love to watch them both playing it, playing together, playing each other. Uh, at RG, I think it's going to be a really good clay match. And yeah, it's going see to how really Krejcikova builds yeah. on this because she's, she yeah. was thirty, like you mentioned. Now she's sixteen. Yeah. And if she keeps this level up, again, I, I don't think there's a there's no reason why she shouldn't be in. The well, yeah, five. maybe she's gonna maybe she's gonna be able to avoid uh, Shviantek up to at least the quarterfinals. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because she does play a lot of doubles. So I'm curious to see if she does like scale back a little bit in some of these other events and mm. focuses on singles because either way, like she's she's kind of set. Because, like Hall of Fame lock, like I said, like can yeah. do like can play all three disciplines really, really well. Uh, yeah, she's such a good sport too. Like I was watching the trophy ceremony; she had such nice things to say about, you know, Iga yeah, vice versa. Yeah. I think this is just a, a good rivalry. And now they split their last four; it's two two. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Krajikova leads two one on hard, and it's one zero on clay for Iga. Yeah, so. I, I hope that she she stays healthy and uh, she climbs up the rankings a bit more, so that we can just get see like a like a good. It could be even like a three way rivalry, right? It's like a Krajikova, Shiantek, Sabalenka, whoever wants to drop yeah. in in the mix. But so far, those three are like the players. Yeah, and, and, and recently, you know, that for Sabalenka yeah. now it doesn't look it doesn't look nearly as bad, and she still got to the quarters. Yeah, and I think you know, like a little bit of a dip is kind of inevitable anyway after winning a slam. So I'm yeah. not worried about Sabalenka either. Yeah, for sure. We'll and, and of course, like recency bias does kind of um, take its place. Like when we talk about Krishikova is definitely like one of the must see like this year. Like she's definitely playing good tennis. It remains yeah. to be seen like whether she's going to be be there as well. But like at least like a Sabalenka Fiontek, I think we are pretty confident they are going to remain powerhouses towards the year. Like at least yeah. we hope. <laughs> we think that it's going to happen, but we do have to like hope that this is going to they're going to remain healthy nobody's going to have like a the yips again like Sabalenka is not going to hit like another 18 double faults in the match yeah yeah and Krajikova it's kind of no guarantee because she's still going to have to get through some tough rounds to exactly. get to these latter stages and she almost lost to Kazakina like probably should have and then mm. 
like uh, you know at the Australian Open this year she played Pagula and Pagula beat her in the fourth round and I just thought like I, I think that's when I started feeling good about Kritikova like oh she could do something big this year even though she lost that match like fairly decisively yeah after a close first set I was like okay she's not quite at her best right now like still kind of coming back from from the elbow a few ups and downs like she didn't really carry over that form from October mm-hmm. um, like in that matchup specifically but then I saw that when she's at her best there's not really that much like because Pagula is such a consistent player like her floor and her ceiling are like not that different yeah. whereas I saw for Kritikova yeah it's like Kritikova's ceiling is really high and it's hard to yeah. assess her floor actually because like she's been she had the elbow surgery and like now she's kind of been up yeah. and down it's so, like when she gets to like a regular consistent level I think that's when we're going to see okay like this this is where she stands mm-hmm. on like in when she's not necessarily playing at her best. So I think yeah. we're going to have to... I think her slam results were pretty decent after the French Open. She got to the fourth round of Wimbledon, lost to Barty. Barty won, ended up winning. Yeah, She lost in the quarters to Sambalenka. No shame there. Lost in the quarters of Australia to Madison Keys, but had some problems in the heat. Mm. So, you know, so she was still playing like a top eight player, pretty much. And then, like, also won more titles after the French. So, Yeah. Uh, I think this is good, pretty good overall. I think there were some walkovers in this tournament. Uh-huh. Like uh, yeah. Pliskova was supposed to play Iga in the quarters, didn't happen because Kritikova yeah. got sick. And because then... Pliskova got sick. Sorry, yeah. yeah. What am I saying? Yeah, Pliskova yeah. got sick, so she withdrew, and then Iga was uh, was in the semis, and then Rabakina uh, pulled out as well. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do. I do have a thing. Well, I, I guess it, it is a one thousand event, but. Do wonder how many how much uh, those players are really trying to keep themselves he- healthy for uh, the Sunshine Double at this point. Yeah, it was a it was a weird quarterfinal day because we only had like two quarterfinals out of four. But then, mm-hmm. uh, but then it, you know it kind of makes sense because there was definitely something like floating in the air. Um. Yeah. Wait, did I say did I say that uh, Rebecca? Yeah, you did. Hold out. No, no, no. It wasn't Rabakina. I got that wrong. It was Mukova. Oh, yeah. Well, Mukova has been Mukova. up and down. Maybe she's kind of not... She, that was worrying because she withdrew with an abdominal injury and she's been dealing with that for the last two years. And that's 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 kind of the reason why her ranking is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Because I think she's actually like top 20 material as well. Exactly. Like, I'm saying, yeah. But, mm. but uh, you know, so hopefully she gets healthy because she beat Benchich. Um, in the fourth round, and then had to pull out, and we would have seen her against Pagula. Yeah. It's been said that this is essentially the story of her career so far. Like this past few years, have yeah. been playing good matches, gets injured, playing good matches. Gets oh, injured. and Rabakina did also withdraw. Actually, I got okay, I, but that was in the fourth round against Goff. Mm. Um, yeah, and Goff and Iga did play each other in the semifinals again. And while I thought this was a little bit better from Goff, I still thought. Her forehand broke down a bit too much. And I think that's when I kind of thought that Krijikova had a chance was in the final because I, I saw the semis of Iga and Coco and I was like, Iga didn't play a great match, but mm. she still ended up winning four and two. Um, and I just thought like her level will need to be higher in the final. Yeah. And it didn't. I guess it was probably high. lower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think Eagle also got a withdrawal in the quarter, so that's kind yeah, of yeah. She did. She she got another withdrawal again. Like uh, it was the second week in a row that she gets to a final without yeah, because last having year to play it was three matches. Benchich that withdrew, and then this year was I mean last week it was Benchich and Doha, and this week it was Puskala. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
doesn't really take much away because she still got the points. I think she would, probably would have won those matches, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like yeah. I, if we're moving on, but still in the same region of the world, um, we had a, another really inspiring run. Um, Andy Murray got back into a final for the first time since I think June last year. Yeah, um, we're gonna talk about that because his year so far has been has been really quite something. Every single match of his has gone the distance. It's been exhilarating. It's been down to the wire. In three of his like three of the nine matches he's played so far this year, he's had to save match points. Yeah. He's basically been on court every match for over three hours. It's been a whole Murray coaster, as our friends at Murray Music likes to call it. And it's just like it's just almost inevitable that these matches are going to a third set this thing. But I, I just I'm so encouraged by his level of play and his fitness. Because I feel like in the offseason he worked so hard. Yeah. Uh, probably trained it's much harder than ever before. And he was disappointed with his year last year because yes, he got to those two finals in Stuttgart and one in Sydney at the end of the at the, at the beginning of he the lost year. To, in the beginning of the year he lost to Karatsev and then in the Stuttgart final he lost to Berrettini. Berrettini in three. Yeah, and he, he kind of hurt his ab- abdominal after the second exactly. set, which he won, and he had all the momentum. So, so I, you know, I, I felt like that was unfortunate that he didn't he didn't win a title. And then this year, uh, he's he's really like hitting the ball better. I think he's hitting his forehand a little harder, which is really important for him. Yeah, he's the backhand down the line more. He's defending well, and obviously he still has limitations because metal hip and changing directions and return. Like it's never going to be old Andy Murray, but I still feel like it's. He's giving us so much enough vintage stuff. I mean, the first week of the Australian Open, it was all Andy, basically, yeah. like in terms of storylines and you know drama and stuff like that. And in this match, he saved two match points right away, or three actually, against Sonigo. Yeah, um, three match points. Match. I think two on his serve. Yeah, all, uh, all of them on his was, serve actually. This he served all of them on his serve. He was down fifteen forty, and then yes. served a, an ad serve with a I think an ace. Yes, and so that was that was clutch, and then he got through that, and then he then then the match against Zverev. Uh, yeah. This was this was a, and I, I watched that one, and I, I thought Zverev was playing good. I thought this was the first time Zverev actually looked like back like close to his best, like since the French Open, since he tore, basically tore his ankle against Nadal. I was like, okay, this is this is legit. If Andy wins this, like this is significant because, um, like Zverev was playing. You know, pretty, pretty, pretty well. Like, especially like he picked up his level. Like in the second set, he won six yeah. two. He had he had a break point in the beginning of the third, and that's where Andy like dictated with his forehand, and he took it to Sasha, because otherwise uh, he might have been in trouble. Like Zverev, the way he was serving and playing, I I thought I thought if he, he if he broke there, he probably would have come through. But Andy was uh, was was again like he withstood that, and then he closed that out seven five in the in the third. And then he played another three setter against Alexander Muller, yeah, and lost the first set. And then, but then the next two were pretty like decisive. It was a six six one six two, and that yeah, was like after after he lost that first set, I think. And he was up a break in the first set as well. He was up two love, yeah, thirty love. I, th- I think I think that's when he finally. I think something clicked differently, like in his head, on like how he's supposed yeah. to be playing because he's he was very used to like back when his uh, was playing like before the metal hip. Um, one of, one of the things that Murray was doing so much was just kind of staying in this in his points, kind of like massaging the ball back, especially with his forehand. And sometimes he would counter punch, but um, something was missing. Obviously, like uh, nowadays, yeah. like he doesn't have that. But like after he lost the the first set to Miller, that he lost that he was from from uh, up a break in the first set, 
I think it just kind of clicked. It's just like, hey, I, yeah. I got I to gotta do something different and just kind of like got to pick it up on the aggressive uh, aggressiveness. And that's essentially what he did. And yep. that was one of the best levels I've seen from Andy Murray, like in terms of like the way that he's supposed to be playing a match. Um, yep. Ever since like he's he's come back, I guess, from the, from the surgery. I, I think you're so right about those last two sets because it's like he just went like, yeah, this is it. Like I, I can't play like this, like the way I did it in the first set. And now I'm just going to play all out aggression. Yeah. And like, I have one of the best backhands on tour. I have a good first serve when it goes in and I can move the ball around the court with my forehand. Yes. It's not like the most powerful forehand. It's not going to do a ton of damage, but I can massage it around the court nicely. Yeah. And he did that to great effect. And it was, it was clinical. It was efficient. And he knew his level was higher than Muller. So yeah. that was a, that was a really good match for him going into the, into the semis against Zverev. The other thing he did so well is I loved how he was returning hmm. because against Zverev, he was blocking a lot of returns, like chipping them and forcing Zverev to come in. It was his least favorite part of the court, the net. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I felt like Andy was and he's much more superior because he can like with his IQ, because he can use his backhand slice. He can like get Zverev like hitting these awkward forehands where he's having to like stay really low and like dig those low ones out or like push him behind the baseline and I was like, because on paper, like he's not supposed to be winning this match with a metal hip, right? But yeah. like because of his good like experience, like match experience all these years and his like guile and like craftiness around the court and just like a better IQ overall, he won. And I was like, that was that was something big because like and he didn't just fall apart like after that, then he beat Lehechka and he bageled him in the first set, loses yeah. the second, and you're thinking, Oh my goodness, here we go again. And then, and then Lehechka's up 5-4, love. And to be honest, I do think like Lehechka will have some regrets a little yeah, bit. Like, but, played, but I do think it was also yeah. just, uh, you know, maybe like nerves. nerves and because nerves, trying to get to the final. Like, yeah. it's, the thing yeah. about that, he was playing a lot. Like he was, he was in the zone. Like that level of tonight he was playing, it was unreal. It was, Murray was not playing bad. I think that's the yeah, thing that we kind of have to understand. It's just like Leshko was just ridiculous. He was getting to every ball. He was making his forehand like to every corner, like close to the lines. And then we got to 40 love. I think he just kind of like crushed the, the weight of like, okay, I'm going to finish this match. And then he just made like a few poor decisions, played a, yep. played a couple of bad shots. And then all of a sudden he's just like started like looking like a human being. <laughs> just like It went from 40 yeah. love to break point in a flash. Yeah. And that's when I knew like, okay, this is where... This is where Andy like might win it again. I was thinking, I was looking at this and I was thinking, is there's no way Andy wins this one? And then I was like, is yeah. he going to do this? And then at the end of the day, he did. I think it was in a tiebreak, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. in the tiebreak, it wasn't it wasn't straightforward. Like it was, no. you know, it was a well played tie. It was eight six, and yeah. the Hechka actually saved a match point. Like you know, he, he hit some good shots. Like he, he didn't like totally collapse. Like to his credit, like it was a it was a tight tiebreak as well. And like Lehechka, like I think he's like top twenty five. Like worthy, like very soon because he's he's had some really big wins. He got to the quarters of Australia. He beat Nori, beat Felix, beat Chorich, yeah. and then in yeah, uh, and then before that he beat Zverev in the United Cup, and yeah, yeah, and he played Fritz and like I I just think he's and he got to the next ten finals final last year. Mm, yeah. So that event has proven to do big things for players. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, but it's, wow. And then I, I, I do you remember what happened on the match point with the with Murray in that match? Was it a some kind of a lob winner? I was it. I don't think it was a lob winner. Oh, okay, but, no, no, that's how Medvedev finished. The yeah, that was match. how Medvedev did. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, I don't I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was maybe a passing shot, something like that. But yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I oh just... no, no, I know what it was. It was a servant yeah. volley error by the hedge guy. Oh, okay, just, yeah. Just That's wide. True. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was it was a good play, but he just he just missed the missed the volley wide. Yeah. And then Andy just looked at his box. And, yeah, yeah exactly. Was... I remember that's the only thing I remember. Like Andy just <laughs> in the back of the court is like screaming at his like box. Yeah. But yeah, like but, but that was that was amazing that he was able to save two match like win two match points two matches after saving match points in the same week. Yeah. Like at this stage in his career. And then go up against Medvedev in the final. Which and arguably Medvedev. he could have probably taken that a little longer. I think he, he hadn't he played so much in the week he was a little bit fresher i think he would have been able to take the this to at least a third set yeah i think a little ran out it was certainly not super one-sided because he did break back yeah in the second and then he lost his serve from 4-0 40 15 which yeah at that point was kind of a killer yeah and then like medvedev then he served it out with a lob winner but he got it to deuce andy and then i think he had a a break point in that game as well i think yeah, or uh, yeah, it was forty thirty, and then Deuce, and then like I think add in, and then Deuce again, and then like so Medvedev had to work, and I think in the first set he was up double break, and then yeah. and he got one of those breaks back. Yeah, and, but the, uh, the, yeah, but the thing is like the Medvedev kind of always looked to be the better player in that match, yeah. like a bit more consistent. And you, you would expect yeah. that, I mean, because yeah. they have kind of similar styles, like and similar kind of career trajectories in some ways as well, like yeah. both winning the U.S. Open when they were twenty five and both beating Djokovic in the final different stages and versions of Djokovic. But, uh, and then, and then, you know, they both kind of, yeah, like, they, like with their forehand is not really their big strength. It's more, they rely on their backhand, they rely on their return. Uh, it, it's very interesting actually. And then like Murray made the comment afterwards of like how much he loves watching Medvedev play. And then Medvedev was like, I got so scared when I had those match points. I thought, you know, Andy was going to come back. And, and then because like he's been doing all week, it was just good vibes that whole final, yeah. I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I expected Medvedev to win going into it. And he didn't have, like, a super easy week because I thought Felix, to his credit, he made actually made some adjustments when he played him in the semis. It was it was scary because, like, we were watching this, like, and, uh, well, me and my, my, my peers, uh, and it was just, he started the match almost exactly, not exactly yeah. the same way as he did, like, last week. He, dec- he decided to pattern. stay back. Yeah. But, like, he, he was doing something that, it was very common of him, like back two years ago ish, when he was just kind of putting forehands inside out to the back and just kind of stay in this rally with like not, no real intention to his shots. That's yep. kind of what he felt. And like, it, to be fair, it's probably understandable to the fit to the fact that like he just lost kind of pretty badly to Medvedev last week and just kind of trying to figure out like how do I how the heck do I play this guy? But I think the I the adjustment, think- yeah. The adjustment I, I do think Felix he changed did, yeah. a few things in the second set, which I thought was encouraging. Yes, he didn't win. He had two sets. Yeah, points. no, yeah. Then he didn't take that set, but I thought when he went down a break, he started using his backhand slice and he started hitting it better than I'd seen it yeah. before. So he would hit that slice cross court a little bit lower. Yeah. Draw Medvedev in, and then he would hit. He also hit like a slice down the line, uh, and then like it was kind of low, awkward, kind of forcing Medvedev. And you know, Medvedev is probably going to hit something short. Yeah. With that forehand. That he has, and then Felix just went on the attack, and then he broke yeah. back. I think that, that was like Felix, what, that is the slice. Felix, like that yeah, is what yeah. Federer did so well. That is like what if you watch the O'Connell highlights, O'Connell versus yeah. Medvedev. O'Connell is a guy with a one-handed backhand who drives some of his backhands and he slices it quite a bit, and then he loves to serve and volley. 
Yeah. And he started doing that. And then next thing you know, he, he was up 5-4 in the third set. And he <laughs> won the second. And it's like, like I'm not saying Medvedev is like going to... like Because Medvedev adjusted and he did like find a way and he won that match. Yeah. And like he did adjust his return position. But the thing is, O'Connell made him adjust his return position. So he made him think and he made him yeah. play a different way. And I think yeah. he kind of had to do that against Felix as well. Yeah. And the, the, the only thing that I found Felix was doing, like in terms of giving praise to Felix, uh, is that, well, he, he was problem solving. He made crazy adjustments in that match, like from like being more like of a loopy forehand. Like I think the way that he played against Davidovich Fokina was the way that he should have played this entire match. Like just really flatten it out his forehand, like just kind of like going more on the aggression because... Felix has more firepower than Medvedev. He can crush the forehand. He has a lot more easy power than oh, yeah, Medvedev does, um, especially from the forehand side. The backhand, I His think, will still precise. give more. It's yeah, good technique. It's heavy, yeah. it's, and like uh, he's, he, he runs around it. Yeah, he runs around his forehand so well, and he plays well yeah. at the net as well. So, like, I think he was um, uh, he was playing really well, and I think that was he, he what he was doing was what he should do. He should definitely dictate points and not necessarily fall into the trap of like trading with Medvedev. Because no, he's going to lose that battle. Exactly, and nine out of ten players are going to lose that match yeah. against Medvedev. It's just going to be like, oh, okay, I'm. It's just, be uh, that's where Medvedev, I think, has a big edge in this matchup. It's the shot tolerance difference. It's exactly. The, yeah. It's the, those rhythmic exchanges. I think Felix gets a little bit too sort of robotic, but then when he starts using his all court game, then he can then he can give Medvedev problems. Like remember the match in Australia where yeah. he was two sets to level up, and then like he had a match point, and it went down to like seven fifth in the. In the fifth, but like he still had to make Medvedev, you know, play a ridiculous level. Yeah. So, so yeah, even though the head to head is 6 0, I, I do feel like maybe, you know, I, I'd be surprised if Felix like doesn't get a win over Medvedev at some yeah. point. Like, I just think, you know, yeah, I, I just think his awkward game is, is too good to like never have a win, you know? Yeah. And he can work see out it, like 10 0. Yeah. And he can work out like the uh, the the differences like in the in the game like problem solving. I think he problem solved really well. And honestly, to be fair, that was the first time that I saw Felix as frustrated on court. I think he got a ball abuse warning, which I've never seen. Ooh, him really? getting, yeah, yeah, I've never seen him I getting any warning like ever. And he was he was clearly very upset about the fact that he was not yeah. winning a few rounds. I kind of like that for him, you know, yeah. because because he's so stoic. I feel like he just like bottles it all in. Gil Gross was talking about this. Yeah. And he just like kind of keeps it all in his in his head and like doesn't let any of it out. Yeah. I think it's healthy to do it once in a while. Exactly. And the the other thing that he did well, um, which helped, I think he helped him as well. It was the fact that he started shouting "Come on!" like when he was winning a few more points and mm. uh, just pumping himself up. I think it might might have helped him just kind of like realize, that, hey, I I am a top ten player. <laughs> I should be yeah. giving this guy more trouble than losing yep. the six two six two right. Uh, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, and I think that's what happened. And I think that was props to both players for playing like a good match and Medvedev for Medvedeving it out. And yeah, yeah Felix for trying to problem solve in a matchup that is not really favorable for him at all. So. No, it's not. Yeah. And now that's back-to-back titles for Medvedev. He's at 17 overall. He's got, like, he's literally one of those is like winning every hardcore title like once. <laughs> he's kind of like, just, he's like, just like, it would be the most iconic thing if he just like literally won every single title that's on a hardcore at some point in his career. Because yeah. he like, he doesn't come back to the same place. He kind of just wants to go to a different city and like win there. And then like, he just kind of, he goes on these like little rolls, but I just wonder if he'll be able to sustain it this week in Dubai. Like I could see him maybe getting to the semis and then yeah. like playing Djokovic. But I just like because Indian Wells is coming up, I'm not sure. You know that's a good surface for him because it's you know it doesn't really reward flat hitting. Like it's it's uh, it's favorable to players who hit with more top spin. Who uh, it's more like a clay court. It's very slow, gritty. The ball travels fast through the air. And it's high bouncing and jumpy. So those conditions are not like Rotterdam or Doha, but I do think Medvedev is good enough even on a clay court where he should be getting to fourth round or quarterfinals regularly, actually. Yeah. So if, if he do just you, believes in himself, right? Do you see Medvedev ever winning uh, Indian Wells in Miami? No, I but I could he, see him, yeah. I, you know, I, honestly, I could see him in a semifinal or even a final just because, like, mm. you know, like we were, I was talking about with Andy Murray. Like, Murray's never really had success there, but he did make the final in 2009. And he lost to Nadal there, but yeah. he beat Federer and, you know, he's had like some runs to the semis and, and like Djokovic isn't going to be in the draw at Indian Wells. Alcaraz is, is kind of a question mark. Nadal yeah. is not playing. So like, you know, we'll see, like, it's still going to like, if he just does the basics, which is serve well and cover the court well and, and keep himself yeah. like not losing mentally. Like, because I think in 2021, he was up six four four one double break on Dimitrov mm-hmm. in the fourth round. And in that turn draw, like it was Nori, Basilashvili, like Schwartzman, like that was a good chance for him to go like pretty far. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it kind of depends. Like it wouldn't shock me if he's in the center. I think Miami is probably better for him. Yeah. Because he's made the quarterfinals there twice. And last year he, he had the hernia thing. And yeah, he's made true. the quarters. And, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like Medvedev is, is on a roll, but I'm not going to like project anything. Like super yeah. crazy. Like I, I do think he's, he's he's more confident than he was. Yeah, I think I think so too. Especially like last year, the entire of last year, I think he's been playing better <laughs> this year alone yeah. in just couple of months and than he, he played. He the mentioned something interesting year. after the match. He mentioned the balls, and he said that they're really slow, and he doesn't like how slow it is. And it, he says that people are having shoulder problems, wrist pain, and elbow issues, yeah. and arm problems because of how slow the balls are. And he mentioned like Sitsipas the shoulder, like Runa with his wrist, stuff like that. He kind of attributed it to that. And he said that he was feeling some wrist pain before he stepped on the court against Korda at the Australian Open. Yeah, And he just, he's like, now that I won this tournament, I can say that. But yeah, just something interesting because they changed the balls around a lot. And uh, yeah, he still ended up winning, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think that, because um, I've seen him playing at the net, uh, but in Doha, and I, I thought he did pretty well. Like I think he he chose yeah. good moments uh, last year. I think, I think he when he comes really, in on his own terms, yeah, when he's really feeling it, like you know, tactically yeah. feels like he's in a good position with the scoreboard as well. 
Yeah. Then then he can uh, actually pull off some difficult volleys because yeah. he has he can like manipulate his technique. It's not like a very good technique, but he can like kind of like you know finesse it a little bit. Yeah, he, he knows yeah. what he, he knows what to do, and as you said, like on his yeah. terms, he's sort of like is expecting a little bit better, so like he's not necessarily caught by surprise by it. But and, I think, do you think that this could be a good solution for him to try and at least like make a deeper one in Indian Wells? Try to like yeah I, I, come I to the net so, more. Because, yeah, yeah I, I think he's gonna have to like play around with his like uh strategy a little bit because if he's playing someone who's like really heavy and who stands really far back then like he can serve in volley i think he has that in his toolbox mm-hmm. the other thing is he's gonna have to counter players serving and volleying against him yeah. because some players are just better at doing that than others like there's some players you just know they're not going to serve in volley but like like a maxim pressy or like a o'connell or like a um like i guess a city pass now or like her coach, I, I feel like like he's gonna have a lot a lot of success still. Like Medvedev is still gonna be a really good top eight player, but I just yeah. like there might be still some matchups that are just like not gonna go well for him. So I, I I'm curious to see those matchups again. Like because yeah. now that he's more confident, he's won two titles. Maybe he'll he will adjust, yeah. and he like he will find solutions. I really want to see Medvedev back into like at least top five, if not top three in the world. I think it would be really interesting yeah. to see that that fire back in him uh, to see if like he can test himself, like still be the best player in the world. I'm not sure yeah, if he because... can go back to number one, but I think he can at least like believe in yeah. that. That would make good matches. So yeah, I'm all down. I, for that. I would be surprised if he got to number one again. Yes, yeah, me too. Um, I just don't think he has the the all the all surface game that he would need to yeah. do that. He would need to dominate way too much on hard courts, and that's not really yeah. <laughs> much of a possibility, honestly. Like uh, with the landscape yep. right now, so yeah, yeah. But so so that was interesting to see um, tactically when play against Murray and in Doha. But um, I guess we want to shift over a little bit to the South American clay, the yeah. continuation of you know Speaking Buenos of, Aires and uh, and. Speaking of players with uh, all-surface versatility. Yeah. Speaking of someone with a pretty well-rounded game himself at 19 years of age, Carlos Alcaraz, the number one seed there. And it was kind of the similar type of draw last week and him and Nori in the final again. But I do think in this tournament, Alcaraz was having a little bit more of a trouble adjusting to, uh, you know, I, I guess just winning the title last week. Like expectations were just maybe higher. And I think he was just a little bit more scratchy in some of his matches this mm. week. He uh, like didn't start well in a lot of them. He was not not really his backhand wasn't really there for him in some big moments. And he still put out pulled off some incredible, unbelievable highlight reel shots, some insane uh, moments where he just pulled off like five, six, seven games in a row, and there was nothing his opponent could really do. Yeah. Uh, but he just had a lot more depth. Like he dropped his serve a lot more. In his first match, he played someone who was ranked outside the top 500. And he quickly went down love too. And then he had to work pretty hard. And he got up 6-4-5-3 and then there was a rain delay. Which is so frustrating. Imagine having a rain delay at like 5-3 in the the second set. And then just like continuing and having to play two more games the next day. And then from there on, he played like every day. He played... There was this one match against Fonini that he played the next round. And Fonini, as you know, like on clay, he's a little bit more kind of erratic these days like mentally as well and just like not kind of the same player he was four or five years ago when he was beating Nadal uh but he can still bring that level like yeah Fanini is a player that you kind of always 
you're always you should always be a little scared to see him in the gym. yeah <laughs> and 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 like uh, you know Fonini like he was in this match and he was like really taking advantage of some of Alcaraz's dips. He won the first set. There were some incredible highlight shots from both. Like Fonini was holding his own in the highlight you know shots department and he, oh, you yeah. know how, he can take he the ball. Like, he's dangerous. He's made the finals of Rio before. And then so Alcaraz had to scrape out of that. It wasn't it wasn't pretty. It was he had to win ugly. It was six seven six two six four. And then he played Lajovic again, and that was kind of ropey as well. But then we get to the semis and the final, and that's when it started to get difficult because he started having more physical issues. Yeah. Against against Nicholas Yari, um, he was down a set and break points, and then at about like five four in the second set, he had to get treated on his left hamstring, mm. and he got worked on. Like it was scary. Like the physio was like literally like digging into his hamstring. Like he just, you know, he wasn't really like you could tell it was like kind of bothering him for yeah. a little while. But then he just pulled off like some insane shots. It was like he just went to a whole nother gear. And Yari just became more and more and more deflated. Yari is like a really big server. He moves pretty well from the ground. He's he used to be like top 40, but then he had a doping ban and he was out yeah. for 11 months. And then now he's like finally starting to play good again and like just kind of race through his competition. He beat Baez in the quarters. But holy yeah. crap, there was this ridiculous shot that Alcaraz hit. To break in the third set, was where he was just running shot? corner to yeah. corner, and then there was that passing shot, and you couldn't even see him because he was out yeah. of the frame. <laughs> he was literally like hitting the, he was literally next to the scoreboard or b- yeah. b- the time. It clock. was like it was like a Alana was... Dahl type of passing shot that's just like yeah. right from the bleachers, and it just kind of goes and it's like hits the shot from like way out like, in the is, back, and it's just this is maybe the shot of the year. Perfect. Yeah, like in that moment, I was like, holy crap! Like, did he just do that? Yeah, and like I had to see the replay, and like the replays, none of the replays were good until they finally put it on YouTube, where it <laughs> said like Al Carlos Alcaraz from all angles. And then I was actually like able, like this morning I saw that video, and I was like, oh, okay, that's like that's next level. And then he ended up winning six zero, but I was a little concerned going to the Nori match because Cameron Nori is like the definition of like unflappable when it comes to never getting tired. Yeah, like he's, he's just literally he's... like. His lungs are like special, right? He's like if, if you were if you were muscular like uh, Martin Fuchovic, you would say he's like the Maria Sakari of the ATP tour. Yeah, because he just he can just run and run and run, and never gets tired. And yeah. he himself had so many long matches, like three setters. He went seven six in the third against Bernabe Zapata Morales in the semis, and he lost sets before that. And he just lost to, to Alcaraz last week in Buenos Aires. But here he is again in the final. Just puts himself there. He's a lot more. Like he he's won more matches than anyone on tour now. He's eighteen and three this year, and he's beaten Nadal. He's beaten at the ATP Cup. He beat Nadal, Fritz, and Dimonor. He beat. He made the final of Auckland, lost to Gasquet. He lost a tight match to Lehechka in the third round of Australian Open, and now he's just made these back-to-back finals. And on clay, it's very unusual for a Brit to do well. Oh yeah, like this was the first time that two players are meeting in back-to-back finals since Djokovic and Murray in twenty sixteen, Madrid and Rome. Yeah. So it's been that long. It's been seven years. Since we've had two players like that meet back to back, but I was concerned for Alcaraz because I just felt like Nori was gonna, Nori was just gonna be a problem. Like he's gonna, he's gonna really test Alcaraz's shot select, shot tolerance, and it just wasn't there yeah. really. Like this week, and... the first set was very scrappy between these two. It was not a good quality first set. <laughs> Alcaraz made twenty unforced errors, and he still somehow won it because like Nori played some bad points. Yeah, at five six in the yeah. Set. I think I think Nori's a really good. Um two matches for Akras to play like coming back from injury and hopefully he doesn't get out yeah. again because of injury but because because of his like 
crazy difference in like the styles of the shots that he plays. Like it's it's night and day on the backhand and the forehand. And the fact yeah, that he's I mean, a lefty. That's why he's so good on clay because he yeah. has that, that loopy forehand that can push players back. He can find Alcaraz's backhand uh, yeah. when he's in that cross court. Yeah. Rally. But that... I, I do think Alcaraz has the edge in the forehand to backhand cross court because his backhand stays low, but it's not like heavy enough to really do much, but it keeps him in the point because yeah. it keeps it, it's awkward and it's, it's like very bunty. It doesn't really have like a full stroke. It's very like, it's like a half take back. Yeah, he kind of almost just sort of like pushes it back in, like in a way, yeah, like it's not necessarily like a. Full... It's like a nudge, as a, as opposed to like a. Yeah, like a. Full... And, and and that's when like when he gets in trouble, like for in, when when Nori gets to like play some shots that are a little bit more like closer to the net, and he just kind of has to like yeah. when players would normally like kind of backhand it, like with some toss pinches, tr- go find the angle. It's so flat. It's so flat. It just sort of like puts it up there. And so the ball just sort of like gets over the net and just sort of sits there in a way. Um, because it's, it's, it's somewhere in between his lice and, uh, and, and the, it, uh, it actually has underspin. It actually has underspin. Like it's curving inside the court. Yeah. As you're, it's like the opposite of top spin, like whatever yeah. the opposite is like. It's it's but he but he can also find ridiculous angles with it like when he's running yeah so that's like that's why he's good on grass that's why he's good on like he's yeah an and, and that's the, that's the the, the hand eye coordination right so he he can actually find the yeah. shots but he can just kind of like place the ball there like wherever he wants to do but yeah I think it's good for for Akras to play like a guy like him especially with the forehand that Nori has because uh, as you said like the backhand was not necessarily like Akras's back best shot like this week but. This was an amazing match to watch because yeah. I learned some more things about Alcaraz. Like I already knew Nori was never going to give up, not going to go away. <laughs> he's going to have, you know, like an extra gear because he's like he's just now he has so much experience. He's played so many finals, and like he's always going to be tough for Alcaraz. But then Alcaraz goes up seven five three zero, and Nori is serving at love three love thirty, and they play this amazing point where like Alcaraz gets all these smashes back. And then Nori hits like a really difficult overhead, lets it bounce from the baseline and puts it away for a winner. And then you could see like Alcaraz was starting to feel something like a little injury, like he was stretching his hamstring and yeah. his diet. Like it was after that point, but like, I didn't really notice it that much because he was still like, like he, you know, Nori held and then he was serving at 3 1. And then he kind of played like a, like he kind of got over eager on some shots and Nori broke back. And I was like, okay, this is going to get more complicated. But then at 2 3, after Nori held, when Alcaraz served at three all, he served and volleyed on three of the first four points, and then he went for a first ball drop shot. And the commentators were like, "Okay, there's definitely something wrong." Yeah, because now he's trying to finish points quickly, and he's just trying to get out of the court as fast as he possibly can. And Cam Nori is the worst player that you can play when you're physically compromised, like the worst. It's like Cam Nori, like Medvedev, like players like that, like. You're toast if you're like struggling physically normally. And Alcaraz yeah. like just was kind of on one leg because every time he had to stretch and defend to his backhand, he was going for a drop shot, or he was hitting like lethal forehands where he was just crushing shots. Yes. In the in the next game where he got where he broke back after Nori went up four three and won four games in a row, Alcaraz was doing the Roger Federer saber. He was yeah. coming in, he was coming in on returns and trying to trying to finish points at that, and it actually worked. Like he actually broke back, and I was like, okay, he has like he can do this, he can do saber, he can do, he can crush forehands. Like, what can't he do right now? And he's hitting these ridiculous. Like he's still in this match somehow, without even like, without like. And then after that, he had to get his hamstring taped, and then there was this long like session with the physio. He got laid all 
like heavily strapped, like similar to how Djokovic had his strapped in the Australian this year. It yeah. was like that for Alcaraz, and he just had it like heavily strapped. It was like, like, and in his team at the beginning of the th- third set, as they ended up losing that set, they were like, "Just don't play." Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're in Acapulco next week. You're in Indian Wells. Pull out of Acapulco first of all. Yeah, don't play really. that seriously. Yeah, uh, and then you know, otherwise you're just going to make this thing worse. But Alcaraz was like, "No, like I'm going to play. I'm going to finish this match. I'm a fighter. Like I, you know, I, I got this. And like I'm not criticizing him. Like you know, he, he very reasonably, like he almost won this match, but." So it was just amazing to see like that, that kind of like him just throwing the kitchen sink and Nori like just refusing to go away and and he went up two love and the Alcaraz went up two love thirty fifteen the third yeah Nori breaks back because Alcaraz can't sustain this he's playing an unsustainable brand of tennis right now he's just going for broke yeah at some point it's not gonna work like you know you're you're hitting like he's able to pull it off because a he's just ridiculously talented he can pull off shots that no one else can yeah but and he has like, insane racket head speed on his forehand. Yeah. But it it just so happens that like when you get to a point where like your your game is like high yeah. risk high reward like you cannot just reap the rewards all the time. There is going to be and if Other, he, otherwise if it wasn't moving, high risk. If he was actually moving, you know, he'd he'd have other options. Like he'd be able to defend. He'd be able to like, you know, like his game is just more. It's just more complete, and I think he would have found a way through this match. Yeah. And to be fair, just, I feel like in terms of yeah, like uh, Nori is going to run all day, but I I think Akras fit runs all day as well like he's just as fast yeah. fast as anybody and he's incredibly I, I just worry about the physicality now because that's you know since yeah. the u.s open like since he spent 24 hours on court there then getting injured then having the ab injury then he had another injury that he had before the australian open yeah now he's got this and i don't know how serious this is i i, I expect him to pull out of acapulco but now i'm worried he might not even be able to play indian wells mm-hmm. because like he really pushed himself like today it was not you know, and, and there was this one game I like Bastian put put it on you on Twitter, where Alcaraz just like hit four straight winners to break back, and I was just laughing like, how is he able to do this? Like he was hitting return winners, and then he was hitting like 105 mile per hour forehands like without even moving. It was like it was a joke. Yeah, I was like, how is he? How is he doing? It's but like, it was unsustainable because yeah, it's like that that forehand that he hit that cl- that clipped the line. He was just literally yeah. limping towards the ball. And just no, like, he was way out of position. He was not in balance at all. Yeah, and he's and he lapped the forehand. He's just like, how do you get so much, so much speed yeah, out of that? And then the umpire come down and it was yeah. in, but like Nori pointed to a different mark, and yeah, everyone's like going on calling him a cheater on Twitter and all that. I wouldn't go that far. I'll just say that it was, you know, in that moment, like maybe he didn't, I, maybe he didn't see it or whatever the mark or whatever. But you know, that ball was in and it caught the line and. Yeah. And it still didn't really matter because then, like, he still lost his serve at five one, and then Nori finally finished it off. Yeah, but whew, that that match was was a roller coaster. It wasn't the highest quality, but it, boy, did it have the drama. Yeah, and boy, did we learn that Alcaraz even even like compromised and not even fifty percent of his physical best. Yeah, is dangerous. I like, do hope that yeah. Players. I do hope that he's able to get back to full fitness. Uh, I don't know if it just came yeah. like day, like when he was doing like his off season, but obviously like, uh, um, yeah. it was just, I, I do hope that, that he gets back to it. Um, I don't know. I have, I have high hopes. I feel like if he, if he were like, well, I hope that he was, I still uh, think he can improve on Like in, in this game, I still feel like he can get more disciplined. He can still work on the first serve. Oh yeah, since still, forever, yeah. He can but still it, improve his shot tolerance. Yeah. Because like some of these matches, like I feel like they're just 
Like he's almost like because he has the game to beat these players three and three, three and two, three and four, get out of there quickly. But all of these matches suddenly become adventurous, and you go on these coasters, and you're just like, do you really need to lose a set here? Like, do you really need to like? Yeah, I mean, especially this week. I do. I do wonder if um, a part of it is just kind of like lack of practice uh, of uh, playing. Yeah, that, that's why I like that he played this yeah. these, these these two uh, tournaments yeah. because like this is still a pretty good result, like final. And then winning last week, and for Nori yeah. it's even better. Like Nori, this is such a smart decision that he made because he played Davis Cup on clay, and then he just stayed here in South America, and yeah. then just now he racked up five hundred and fifty points, and he's number three in the race. Yeah, and also like we, I think in terms of Alcaraz's discipline, I think we have to remind ourselves that he's only nineteen, nineteen years old. Um, all the things that he's been yeah. able to accomplish, he's. He's been the youngest ever to do to do like a couple of things already in his in his lifetime. So yeah, yeah, I think that because he's been number one, because he had the season that he's had, it's easy to forget like just how little experience he actually has on tour. So, um, yeah. so I feel like, I mean, I feel like he's already made yeah. he's already made ten finals. He's already won seven titles. Yeah, he's won two <laughs> Masters. He's won a Slam. He's been number one for twenty weeks. Yeah, he's nineteen. Like yeah. year end number one, mind you. <laughs> Yeah, so, and yeah, Djokovic, think, Nadal, yeah. and Zverev to win a one thousand. Yeah, I think I think Alcaraz is <laughs> going to get there to the point where he's going to be able to maximize his game. And I, well, I think it would be really surprising if he did. If he didn't, um, we can never really rule out that something might happen. Yeah. Like we, we it's are obviously. For me. I yeah. think I worry yeah. more about that than the. Yeah, and first of all, like nobody mm-hmm. is is saying that Alcaraz is going to be the 20 grand slams 22 23 grand slam yeah. record it's simply absurd to think that anybody is going to do that um especially when he's only won one <laughs> so like yeah by the time that he gets to if he, he needs to beat at least like the the 10 grand slams before we actually start think, thinking about like any well, other get one more get the second one because we've seen players that kind of they win their first and then like even novak you know he won his first in 2008 and then he didn't win another since until 2011 yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because now he's like the hunted. Yeah, last year everything was new, and he just like sort of rose to the top. But now, now he has all the expectations and pressure. Exactly. And when you get to, I think a really good, reasonable way to thinking of like a, a good player that he's going to make there. You know, there there's more part of history is that I think it's reasonable to say like maybe Atia Kras wins like. Four to five Grand Slams. I think that's like a, a solid number. Like, but yeah, but it's, it's just like yeah. we, we can't predict the longevity. We can't predict the injuries. Yeah, and then uh, you know, like, uh, you also don't learn that much, like from these two weeks from a standpoint of like the opposition, I guess, because yeah. like the opposition is like good, like on clay, like these players, like they're formidable, like in yeah. terms of, like, you know, sort of fifty to seventy-five in the world type. But it's going to be interesting when he's at Indian Wells, and he's playing, you know, consecutively like against yeah. top players. I feel like Alcaraz is. Yeah, we're gonna to have to. We're gonna to need to have like a like a mid-season um, uh, brief on how Alcaraz has been playing, like just to sort of gauge like where he's at now because he's only well, he played like a full good season last year. He played, I think, I'm not even sure he played like a full season. On the ATP tour back in 2021. I no, played, just, yeah. just uh, basically like from Wimbledon to the end of the year. Before yeah. that, he was still playing challengers. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like by the time, by the mid, like by 
post Wimbledon, I think we're going to be able to like say like, okay, where's Alcaraz at? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But he's already had like, I think because after the French, he had an injury. He didn't train on grass. Then he came into Wimbledon, kind of injured. After the US Open, he got injured again. Yeah. And he got injured again in the off season after recovering from the abdominal. And then he had to miss the Australian Open after already missing ATP finals and Davis Cup. Yeah. And yeah. now he's in doubt for Indian Wells in Miami and yeah. probably pulling out of Acapulco. So, probably yeah. should have pulled out of, it's uh, like... of the Davis Cup last year. Oh, yeah. After the US Open, too. Yeah. He, played the, he played the Davis Cup. That was strange. But yeah, I mean, I guess you learn and you move on. And yeah, uh, there's a lot to admire about this guy. And he brings a lot more. He's just so fun to watch in all respects. But yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, as you remember from the very beginning of the podcast, there was a final going on, and this just in Camilla Georgie won yeah. in three the sets. Rebecca Peterson. Yeah. In the final, and she had a really good week. She beat Sinyakova, Stephens, Sharif. They were all seated 6-2 and 4. Didn't she give like a 6-love? Six 6-love? Six yeah, I was just going to talk about that. That, yeah. was, that was quite something, because yeah. I, I saw the highlights of that. And Georgie was playing well, and she was hitting the ball big for strike tennis, like kind of how like she played when she won in Montreal, like kind of yeah. that same style. But Stephens, that was just shocking. Oh yeah, it was Stephens. Yeah. Like it was really, really lackluster. Like she wasn't moving her feet. She looked kind of disinterested. Like was kind of reaching for shots. Like the, like just no adjustment whatsoever. It was really kind of surprising that. From a major champion, like she wasn't able to win even one game, and it mm. was very quick, like it was forty-eight minutes or something for Georgie. Very surprising, also because Stephens plays very well in the Mexico. She's won titles here before, and Stephens has never gotten back to that 2017-2018 level, like when she won the U.S. Open, made the Miami final, and made the Roland Garros final. No, she won Miami actually. She won Miami and she yeah. won the U.S. Open. And she finished, she made the final of the WTA finals and she made the final of Canada Masters. So she actually had a very good year in 2018. But since then, we have not seen, apart from a couple of quarterfinal runs and a couple of titles in Mexico, we haven't really seen Stephens back at that level. Yeah. And on the other hand, Georgie is like one of those players. She's in the... I have no idea same, what to expect from Georgie. Exactly. Honestly, for me, she's like in the same category as in Ostapenko with like a, a lower level. In which that like she will either play tennis that will beat essentially anybody on tour, or she will play a kind of tennis that is going to beat herself. And I think Ostapenko has a better chance of beating everybody on tour than Georgie, but I feel like um, those days could even yeah. still come for for her as well. It's just she's always been that way, and I think that um, she's all she's she's bound to win a couple of titles here and there. So I think that yeah. doesn't necessarily surprise me all that much like, to see Georgie. I don't know how much we can really take yeah. away from it in terms of like sustaining it but yeah i guess congratulations to her she won another title yep her fourth career title wow and also congratulations to hubie hercot who won his yep. sixth title in marseille and he defeated uh in, in the final he he beat uh, benjamin bonzi benjamin bonzi made his second atp final this week he beat uh, alex de Minor, and then he beat the young arthur feast Mm. who is uh, really talented. He's 18 years old. He's got a really fun and exciting game as well. Um, but that was a good week for Hercot because he was the number one seed. He was expected to win. Uh, it's indoors. He has a big serve. 
He had he had to save match point against Michael Emer in the quarterfinals. That was the third set tiebreak. He was six five down in the third set tiebreak, saved a match point, got out of that match, and then beat his good friend Alexander Bublik. Bublik smash uh, you know Bublik uh, got over his ten match losing streak. And he beat Dimitrov in the quarters. I actually saw the third set tiebreak of the Dimitrov Bublik match. And that one was like it was good for Bublik to get another win uh, against Dimitrov. He now has a 3 2 head to head against him and they're good. They know each other well. But Dimitrov had two match points. And on one of them, he kind of slipped as he was like trying to change directions and get one of, get a backhand back. And then he just didn't win another point after that. No, and I mean, had he won that point, he would have been in the semis against Harkachi guy. He's beaten three times. He has a three-zero head-to-head, and he's won all their tie breaks. And Dimitrov has never gotten back to an ATP final since 2018 Rotterdam. So it's been over five years. Yeah, he's not made another final, and he keeps getting to semis. He's made eleven semis, but he's never won in any of them. He's had some tough opponents like Nadal, Medvedev, Djokovic, mm-hmm. a few other ones that he maybe should have won. But so I thought that was a bit of a tough loss for Dimitrov, but a really good week for Herkach. Because uh, he badly needed to win another title, I think, and just yeah, yeah. kind of make like himself he, relevant again. He, he he never really felt like he had any confidence in his game, like for a while yeah. now. So, like, I feel like, like he's always kind of done enough to be like 11 or 10 in the world. Like, yeah. You know, just kind of like, you know, maybe won a title. Like, he won Holly last year, he won, got to the finals of Canada, but his slam results weren't very good. And he, uh, so because I feel like when Hurkacz is playing well, I think I feel like he can trouble anybody and beat the vast majority of players on tour. Yeah. So it's it's the, like he he's kind of like a Medvedev in terms of like he has a big serve, yeah. and he moves really well, and he defends well, and he has a good backhand. Yeah, and I I'd feel say like he's more competent at the net than Medvedev is. He's very yeah. he has very good hands and volleys. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I don't think that um, gets too passive. Yeah, I don't think that Hurkacz is backhand is better than Medvedev, but I feel like the one thing that Hukachi does better is that like he has he has a more proper technique. He's cleaner, so like in oh, yeah. like a, a more a little bit more top spin. So he has like a bit more um even like I would say options. So yeah, yeah but it's like just the forehand. Like, the forehand is honestly maybe the worst forehand of anyone in the top fifteen. Yeah. It, it, That's it, what holds him yeah. back. And to be to be fair is that like I find that the problem with this forehand is is not even the forehand itself. It's just the fact that he always somehow mistimes it it's just something yeah. goes wrong with it it's just a little better when he's like raise errors back, all the know? time yeah like when he's hitting it as an approach shot or he's like trying to come in and hit a good yeah. volley then he's like you know his forehand like can be precise yeah but when he's when he's way behind the baseline then he can like just get really passive uh on that side and he's a lot better on the backhand yeah so, a lot better yeah um but yeah like it was a good week for him he won another title and now uh, he'll try to continue his form. And then this week we have the return of Djokovic. Djokovic is now has 378 weeks at number one. He's surpassed Steffi Graf most of all time. Male I think he, I think he, he will complete 378 weeks uh, on, like March, tomorrow. on March 6th, I believe. No, no, no. He was at 377 this week. So this week he tied. Does he, and I think tomorrow he's, he's let's, just, let's just count together here. Cause like he, he started his his three hundred and seventy fourth week. He started it on uh, January thirtieth when he won the Australian. So and it now like it's been now it's been four weeks, four, like five, four Mondays six, since then. Seven. So now he's at 
So now he's at 370. Like he completed 374 weeks on Monday the 6th. So he's starting his 378th week. Yeah, today. but but he'll Tomorrow. have the whole week. Like he'll have yeah, it for the whole week. He will have it, but yes. it's just like in terms it's just like he will break it. It's yeah. it's not a it's not something that that can be undone at this Actually, point. Actually, it was interesting because if yeah. Alcaraz had won Rio, they would have been tied in ranking. They points. would have been tied. <laughs> But Alcar- but Djokovic would still be number one because of the points yeah. at the slam level and the one thousand level. Yeah, it's I. I thought it was really interesting how like the timing of it was perfect for the ATP tour because they had just um, last year they pulled out like their live rankings, and yeah. um, and now like obviously like all the crazy tennis fans would even be following the live ranks before that, but now that the ATP has it. They would. They actually were supposed to like put up a article saying what would happen in that situation because, and I had I had no idea honestly. Like I I didn't even do my research. I kind of just. It's, did it's the not little... common. It's uh, yeah. it doesn't really happen. Oh yeah, absolutely like, not. I yes. don't remember the last time. Yeah, and I did yeah. the lazy thing, and I just kind of like asked Twitter like if that was something instead of like looking and just like whole oh, and behold, it's like the article right on the ATP tour website explaining what happens. Oh yeah. But yeah. I. Yeah, and then so now Djokovic is back this week in Dubai. Uh, yeah, and then Medvedev is there and Felix is there. It's like kind of the same field as Doha, but just with Djokovic in it. Yeah. And it's a 500, and he's yeah. won it like six times. Like him and Federer, they always own that tournament. They. Yeah. Federer's won it eight times. He's won it five yeah, times. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anyone winning this tournament other than Djokovic. Hopefully Medvedev. Like plays well as well, but like I don't, I feel like he might be getting tired at this point. But he could get to it, and then obviously Rublev is the second seed. Rublev has been kind of like struggling a little bit in these best of three matches. He did beat he beat Greek Sport this week, and then he lost to Lehechka. Yeah, uh, he he saved match points against Greek Sport. Mm. So it's kind of crazy because he's had, he has five wins this year, and in two of those five he saved yeah. match points. And yeah. Greek Sport reached the semifinals in Rotterdam as well, like last yep. week. So he's been he's been doing he's been having he won a great title. Run. Yeah, yeah. There's players like that right now that you wouldn't expect. If you look at the race, it's like, whoa! What is Ben Shelton doing there? What is, <laughs> you know, like in ter- like in terms of like there's just new names that you wouldn't see in the race, maybe at earlier stages this year. But then like Nadal's going to be out of the top ten, and like yeah. Alcaraz is like, like kind of a question mark. Yeah, he he hasn't made any announcements about Indian Wells right so far. Yeah, but if. And I think it's about nine, like a ninety-five percent chance that he doesn't play Indian Wells. So, yeah, we're we're gonna have to cap his uh, weeks at top ten. I think at nine hundred and thirteen. Yeah. So I, I put out the stat during the Australian Open because Linda Fortova got to the fourth round, hmm. and Rafael Nadal has been consecutively in the top ten longer than Linda Fortova's entire lifetime by a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nine hundred and like twenty weeks. It's like basically half his life, like 2005, April 2005 till now. It's like half the time that he's been alive. He's been a top 10 player. The doll is 36. And no, like, but like, who, who is the guy that has been alive for almost less time than that? Uh... Oh, no, no. I'm saying the doll has been like top 10 for half his life. And he's been uh, top 10 longer than the entire lifetime of Linda Fruvertova. Oh, yeah, yeah. Linda Fruvertova. She's, yeah. she's 18. Like, she was born in 2005. Isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, it is obviously going to change, but like Linda Fruvitova is like, she was born and Nadal was in the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> and she's still, she's there and Nadal's still in the top 10. It's just, 
it's, it's so it's wild kinda, to think it's about really because it's like yeah and he's always like done so well on clay that even when he's had these injuries he, he does like he builds up so many points in the first half of the year that even when he goes on these long hiatuses he's just like pretty much secure yeah. in the top 10 it's like pretty yeah. insane but but yeah this podcast we'll have to wait until Nadal gets back so that we can talk about him again because we've covered a lot of ground today and uh it's yeah. time it's pretty good pretty yep. pretty good we uh got through quite a bit yeah. it was fun to watch uh this week and then yeah. like next week golden swing the, yeah. essentially over because we're not on clay anymore acapulco's on hard but um yeah acapulco yeah. dubai and then you got austin monterey on wta and then you yeah. got santiago i guess that's going to be a continuation i guess team will play there again in Santiago, and then you have Bassetti as the top seed, and Baez, and those other players, yeah. besides Nori and Alvarez. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll be kind of interesting, but then it doesn't stop. We go straight to Indian Wells two weeks, then Miami That's two crazy. weeks. Yeah. And then we just go to the clay. It's yeah. it's gonna, basically going to be nonstop tennis from now yeah, until, until the US Open. Of Wimbledon. And then and then maybe then after that, we have a little bit of a break. After the, the Wimbledon, we have like a week. Which yeah, is then you have, like, you, know, you have like Hamburg, Umag, Newport. And then yeah, you sort of have true. like, like you have a mini clay swing unless like Alcaraz decides to play that, and then everyone's like, you know, suddenly like That's last true, year he played yeah. that, and it wasn't a quiet time. Like it was Alcaraz was there, team was there, other top players were like, kind yeah, of. Yeah, we do team. have a we do have a bit of a mini break before, between yeah. uh, that and the North American uh, hard yeah. court season. I mean, next week will be the return of Casper Ruud, so yeah. that will be so after his off season in February. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's about time we get an off-season for our day, Andre, because it's been a long one, and it was a pleasure being here and covering yeah. it all. All right. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. Owen as well, who's in Australia. And yeah, is, uh, enjoying... Being a semester abroad. Yeah. Enjoying the summer in Australia, after enjoying yeah. the Australian Open in Australia, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We miss yeah. you, Owen. Get back. Yeah. We'll all definitely right. have Owen on again. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll talk to you later, and um, we'll be we'll be on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Bunch at BunchP2K. Um, Owen, you can follow him at Tennis Nation. Um, the podcast is at Tennis and Bagels, and me for like other stuff. Then sometimes tennis, sometimes not. At Rollenberg Andre, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.